It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 161, King Jehu, Shalmaneser III, and the Black Obelisk. As Jehu solidifies his rule over northern Israel and Athaliah hangs on through terror in Jerusalem, it is King Haziel of Aram who aggressively takes the offensive due to the instability in Israel. He takes Galilee very quickly, overruns Jezreel, all of Moab, and of course the messy Ramoth-Gilead territory. Eventually, he will go as far south as Gath and take it and turn on Jerusalem, but this comes later. Apparently, he's not so interested in Israel's hill country or the siege warfare required to actually take the highlands and Samaria. Also, we have evidence he warred off multiple attacks of the Assyrians. This guy, Haziel, he's one tough dude. Now, Jehu cannot handle him. But like Ahab before him, he probably had to withdraw to the hill country and his fortresses every time he invaded. And what happens historically is that Jehu is desperate. When he slaughtered Ahab's family, he terminated his alliance with Tyre, and the wealth and trade flow from the island nation ended. He now has no relationship with Judah whatsoever because it is now ruled by the daughter of the woman that he murdered. At the lie would have nothing to do with him. Aram was attacking him now. He cut ties with Judah and Tyre, and he's attacked by Aram. He had nowhere to go strategically. Or did he? Obviously, he should have turned to God, and not any other nation or other God. But he turned to his golden calves for help, his gods. And then he reached out to the nearest, most powerful nation available, Assyria. In Jehu's strategic desperation, he reached out to Assyria for help, potentially in the winter season, outside of the campaign season. Jehu made a special appearance in the courts of Shalmaneser III, begging for his help. Shalmaneser, the last of our characters of this generation to survive, was still king in Assyria, and his aggressive rule continued. Ever the aggressor, he welcomed future allies, or as he would say it, submission to his rule. Most like Jehu came in alliance, since he was begging for help from the enemy of his enemy. Shalmaneser III took his alliance, or begging for help, as submission. Honestly, Jehu probably didn't submit, but he is documented as such archaeologically on the black obelisk found in the London Museum. You know how it goes, the eventual winners get away with writing their own history. The Black Obelisk is a black limestone sculpture with many scenes and inscriptions on it. It comes from Nimrud in northern Iraq and commemorates the deeds of King Shalmaneser III. It is the most complete of the obelisk found covering the time of Shalmaneser III. It was discovered by Sir Austin Henry Layard in 1846 and now resides in the London Museum. The relief depicts five kings who submitted to Shalmaneser, bringing him gifts. And if I haven't messed up any names so far, 
I'm really not gonna try on these five kings, but um, one king is from Iraq, another one's from northwest Iran. These are smaller kingdoms. Another one, we don't even know for sure. Um, the fourth one is possibly a king from Egypt, maybe a part of Sudan, probably just an ambassador of sorts. And the fifth one is Jehu, king of Israel. The fact that Jehu is labeled by name creates a problem for many who deny the legitimacy of the Bible. But here is Jehu mentioned by name, a Bible character confirmed by archaeology. Well, Jehu is really troubled. He brings costly treasures to Shalmaneser. Here's a description on the obelisk. The tribute of Jehu, son of Omri. I received from him silver, gold, a golden bowl, a golden vase with pointed bottom, golden tumblers, golden buckets, tin, a staff for a king, and spears. And the image that's inscribed is basically Shalmaneser and, and his overlords of sorts, and Jehu, or an ambassador of Jehu, most likely it's Jehu, according to the inscription, and he's basically pleading on his knees, on his face, before the king. Shalmaneser proved to be a harsh lord in his dominions, but Jehu and Israel honestly shouldn't be considered his dominion, because it was not contiguous to Israel. Haziel separated him from Israel. Jehu's call out to Shalmaneser honestly only stalled the Arameans from terrorizing the people of Israel. Shalmaneser touted the submission of Jehu, but honestly, Shalmaneser overbaked it. It was propaganda. Jehu just showed up in his court to beg for help, not submission. Shalmaneser, who ruled by fear, used this to show his power. Remember his horrible destruction and the way he stated the way the Battle of Karkar went was not really the way it went down. In the following campaign season, Assyria probably attacked Aram and requested Jehu to attack them from the rear. The Assyrian attack was somewhat successful, but it was repulsed at the gates of Damascus, and Jehu, who wasn't strong enough to attack, quickly withdrew back to Samaria where he wisely stayed in the highlands, making attack upon him much harder. So what's funny is that looking ahead to this episode and this scene and the archaeological significance of it, I thought we would have more to cover. I thought we were headed into the ground where Assyria would, would start to rule over this, this region, but they're stopped. And, and their time is coming, but it's 50 to you know, a hundred years from now, when they begin to truly dominate. Jehu didn't submit to him. His lands were not even connected at this time to Shalmaneser. And Haziel was a real winner in this generation, exceeding where Ben-Hadad and even Ahab had stalled out. Shalmaneser III will attack Aram again and again, but will never break into Damascus in his lifetime. Eventually, Haziel will get a break when parts of Shalmaneser's kingdom goes into absolute revolt, leaving Haziel free to spread his, his wings and expand his territory. And when Shalmaneser backs off, Haziel attacks south, eventually going as far south as Gath on the Mediterranean. 
and he takes it, and there in a future attack, he turns upon Jerusalem. At this point, we have the highest territorial extent of Aram, and wealth flows into Damascus. And when he turns to Jerusalem and for their submission, we have a transfer of wealth and one very powerful Aram, dominating the military landscape of the region. We have a very, very weakened Judah and Israel and a powerful Aram and Assyria left to fight for dominance at the center of the earth. So as far as the black obelisk, all it does is to show that Shalmaneser was a liar who used history as a means of propaganda. Well, that's at least my take on the guy. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, what do we learn from this scene? We learn from ancient sources sometimes are not correct, and the warlords of the past are sometimes liars. Honestly, the, the lesson here is don't believe everything you hear. It was Peter who means whose name means rock. He was originally called Simon, which means a reed that blows in the wind. And when Peter was transformed, his name showed his faithfulness and steadfastness to his call. We are not to be blown by the wind in whatever direction the wind blows, a.k.a. the spiritual voices or arrows that come as temptation. We are to remain steadfast and faithful to the call of our Lord. I like the story of the Berean Jews, Acts 17.11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Everything we hear should be bounced against the word of God. Truth is whole through the lenses of scripture. In this world of media overload, we must be aware of the spirit or source of facts. Facts are facts, and we cannot hide from them. Emotions should be removed from the news we hear, and there should be no agenda or desire for interpretation one way or the other. When it comes to history and facts of the past, facts are facts. Let's look at the black obelisk. Shalmaneser received the king of Israel begging for mercy. Not necessarily. He was begging for help and he was presenting gifts. Honestly, the message Shalmaneser left on the obelisk was Jehu was submitting to Shalmaneser to be his lord. That's the, that's the way it reads if you look at the picture. He's submitting. He's on his knees. Because Shalmaneser could destroy him at any minute due to his power. That was the message. That's the overlord, warlord, whatever you want to call him perspective. Okay, that's the archaeological record. Assyria, power projection. What does the Bible say? Well, nothing actually. It's just like Karkar, except we learn the geopolitical situation from the Bible. Haziel of Aram is the man of the hour who is dominating Israel's landscape, not Shalmaneser. History supports that Shalmaneser was not successful against Haziel either. With Jehu not even connected to Shalmaneser's lands, this was propaganda used to help Shalmaneser look good to his people and create fear in his enemies. An actual peace treaty or alliance forged between Assyria and Israel was documented as submission by the Assyrians. Through biblical history, we can confirm Jehu did work with Shalmaneser 
but he did not submit to him. No way. Shalmaneser overbaked his history. It was poor news reporting, bad history, and an incorrect message. Have you ever read a story or heard a history or have been taught a history that's lacking the biblical context, lens, or just lacking basic foundational truths? Honestly, this is one of the reasons I started this podcast, to reintroduce the famous characters of history whose biblical roots, foundations, prophecies, and crossovers in the biblical story only enrich our lives in their story. I listened to an account of Cyrus the Great many years ago, and I was amazed how perfect it tied into the biblical account. But at the same time, I was quite upset when I realized those amazing pieces of his life had been removed from so many histories. So don't believe everything you read until you see it through the lenses of Scripture. Sometimes people are off base, or sometimes people have an agenda, or sometimes people just don't include all the facts. Truth is a fundamental Christian character trait. We should be a people of truth. Be like the Bereans, even in the area of news and history, and do your own study and your research and compare what you hear to the Word of God in the context of God's story. May we be a people that have a greater understanding of biblical history, God's story, His Word, and have a hunger to learn greater truths and to have wisdom to navigate the many resources available to us to research truth as the Holy Spirit moves upon us to question, study, and wisely understand our world from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.